Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for what today means for us. God, we thank you for resurrection. God, we thank you for what you did for us on Friday, took took our sins upon yourself so that our punishment, our deserved punishment would pour out on Jesus in place of us. For those that believe in him can can walk new and free and, and alive because he is risen, Lord. We praise you and we pray that you'd be glorified in everything that is said and done today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, good morning, he has risen. We awake today to the best news that could ever be, the best news that there is ever going to be, well, at least until Jesus comes back again. We are excited because a little over 2,000 years ago, we're kind of, today begins the rest of the story, began the rest of the story that for us, we know how it ends. But for the disciples, yesterday marked a day of confusion and fear and and frustration and, and, and dashed hopes because they didn't know the end of the story. I think too often we forget that we actually, we actually know the end of the story. And that changes how we live. That changes how we operate. Think about it this way. If you've seen a really crazy or intense thriller movie and you've seen the end of it, you know how it ends. You can watch it with a little bit more peace. You can watch it with a little bit more, uh, with a little less angst. The person that, that hasn't seen it is maybe really clamoring and they're holding their seat. The same thing with your kids. Every time you You show them something new that they've never experienced, no matter how small and mundane and simple it is for you as an adult or as their parent, when they see it for the first time, it's just just overwhelming. It's just amazing. It's just incredible with how far it's gone. Also, the same thing can be said about hardships. See, when you've experienced hardship and come out the other side, when you've when you are walking someone else through a similar hardship, you remember the feelings of being where they were. You remember, but you also know now that you can make it through it, which in turn gives you confidence to walk them through it. I'm always amazed at how different of an experience it is on one side of the coin versus the other. One side is, is riddled with fear or confusion or anticipation or, or doubt, and the other is, is, is walking in confidence and hope and excitement, maybe even in joyful anticipation. Resurrection is a part of an incredibly long elaborate and entirely true story. It's a story that, that we today, walking this earth, have the, almost to its entirety in front of us. But the life of Jesus is really the point of the story. It's, it's a story that if you miss one part of it, just one part, or you, you don't pay attention to one part, you have the, the potential of missing the entire thing, the point of it all. I don't have time to cover it all today, but I'm going to, to step kind of into this weekend for the story. If you're here today, if you're listening to this and you just kind of clicked on it because you saw a funny picture or you weren't really sure someone invited you to this and you don't necessarily believe in Jesus, I want to tell you, my hope is that you would see just how amazing this story is. Just, Just how incredible it will be for all who submit their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
See, last Friday, we celebrated what was Good Friday. It was a, it's, a, it's a huge turning point in the story that's happening. It's a, it's a turning point that, that brings us to kind of the pinnacle of what we've been hoping for and what those that were that day had been hoping for, although they missed it. See, why do we call it good? Why would we call a Friday where our King, our Lord, our Savior is crucified, beaten, and, and, and hung on a cross? The death of a thief. Why would we call that good? Because the scriptures teach that we are separated from God and are in desperate need of a sacrifice that would pay for the penalties of all of the sins that we have done, will do, or are doing right now. We need someone that is perfect. We need someone that we can, we can commit our lives to, and Jesus is that sacrifice. Jesus is both fully God and fully human. He walks this life 30 plus, walks this world 30 plus years and, and, and literally follows and obeys every letter of the law, something that we could never do so that he could hang on the cross in place of us as a perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all. A sacrifice that, that makes it possible for us to know God, to be with God, and to be deemed righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ that is spilled for us. The point I so badly want to make for us today, the point I want us to, to really, really walk from is, is based around what happens after Jesus is killed and put in the tomb. See, for us today, because we know the end of the story, we don't have that Saturday, that, that time from, from Jesus breathing his last until that time when we actually hear murmurs of him walking out of the tomb. We don't have that day like the disciples did. 2,000 years ago for us, today is drastically different than what they experienced as disciples. See, we know the end of the story. If you look at the gospel, the account is, is kind of quiet on what happened on Saturday. We know about two disciples. We know that, that essentially all scattered and ran when Jesus was arrested, except for two. One, presumably John, who ends up leaving naked anyways. Later on, you can read that one in the gospel. And the other is Peter, who does one of the most atrocious things ever. He denies Jesus Christ as even being his Lord or even knowing him three times while Jesus is being put on trial. And then they run. And all we know is that those disciples were were lost, confused. In fact, we, we see in the Gospels that on the road to Emmaus, two disciples are literally telling the story, and one of the words they say to Jesus before they know it's him is, we had hoped, we had hoped, we know, like we said last week, that they had hoped for something smaller than what God was doing. But they were confused. They were blinded by their fears of the unknown. So they had missed the entire time all that Jesus said would happen. They'd missed it. They'd missed it completely. They knew that, that Jesus was who he says he was, but they couldn't com compare that or put that together with what they were experiencing in this moment. You know what's amazing to me is if you look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, the Pharisees believed Jesus said would come back for three days later. So they roll the, the tomb in place. They roll the rock in place, the guards in place. They remembered what Jesus did, but the disciples didn't. They had missed it all. Then comes Sunday, resurrection. Jesus is alive. This changes everything. See, because if Jesus just dies on Friday, he dies a good man, maybe a prophet, but not our Savior, not our Messiah, not, not our King. But because he is resurrected, it means that we are no longer a slave to sin with the outcome of death. It means that we can, we can know him who has saved us. It means that we can walk in freedom because he has been resurrected. It means we can be righteous once and for all. It means all who believe in him are saved. It means 
that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we are set free. It means that we are deemed holy and co-heirs with Christ. Guys, everything changes at this point in the story. It's amazing. It truly is all that matters in this vapor of a life that we are living. But why then do we feel like, like that's not enough? Especially right now when you think about everything that's going on in our world, specifically today. Why then is it we wake up on this morning and we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but we kind of peer beyond that, that empty tomb and we look at our life today and we go, man, it just doesn't seem to add up. As incredible as Jesus' resurrection is, and our freedom is, I think we actually make a mistake today that is very similar to the mistake the disciples made 2,000 plus years ago. See, we focus on only some of the things that Jesus taught and miss or forget what he was saying all along. Jesus' resurrection this Sunday has really huge implications for us. For us, it's incredible. I want to stop and I want to be really clear on something. When I say us, I want you to know whom I'm addressing. See, when I say us, I'm, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to those that have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Those that have allowed the death of Jesus, right, Jesus Christ and the blood that was spilled to wash over them and cleanse them of their sins so they can be deemed forgiven and that have been buried with Christ and resurrected with Christ like Romans 6 talks about. When I say us, for the rest of this sermon, what I'm talking about for us are those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're watching this and you have not made that confession, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and I want to invite you to do that. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This word confess means to acknowledge is true. Him being Lord is not just someone that you kind of invite along the process. It's, it's someone that you put yourself under as him having supreme control of you. And I, I tell you, there is nothing you can bet, do better in your life than surrender to Jesus Christ. And there's no better day than a day when we're celebrating the fact that Jesus didn't just die, he was resurrected. So I would encourage you, I would invite you to be a part of the us that I talk about for the rest of this sermon. See, there are at least three things that Jesus' resurrection causes us to see reality differently. There are three things that happen that when we understand that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was a massive part of the story, but it's not the end of the story. There's actually something that goes beyond. And these three things, are, they're simple things. There's probably many more things, but I want to just rest on these three today. The first one is that we have his promise. See, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter what goes on in our life, no matter what circumstances we come to or anything, we can rest in his promise. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, and then 13b through 14 say this. It says, we are afflicted in every way. Just in case you were wondering what every way means, it means every way. In every way. We are afflicted in every way. Who is the we? Us. It's those who are in Christ. But we are not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Moving on to verse 13b, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak knowing that he, now pay attention because this is the part of the story that we miss, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. See, we, we have his promise that no matter how how perplexed and, and, and 
distraught and difficult we are in or how hard it is, we have his promise. We know for a fact that he will raise us with him. Going down just a little bit further in this same, same, same chapter, same book, 2 Corinthians, verse 16 through 18 says, so what? So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though our, our Adam, our humanness is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light. And just in case you're wondering what Paul defines as light, go read Acts and see what he experienced. It was nothing compared to what most of us experience in America today. He was beaten and stoned and, and, and shipwrecked and just beaten over and over and over again. And to him, he calls these afflictions light. And here it is, because why? momentary. That's the entirety of this life. These light, momentary. Guys, the struggles and the difficulties and the hardships that you have in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that it's momentary. That it's momentary. Afflictions, they're doing what? They're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, are transient, are, are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Guys, what does this tell us? It tells us that, it says that eternal glory far outweighs our worst suffering. We can rest in this promise because we know the end of the story. We can rest in this promise because no matter how difficult it is, we know that it's temporary. It's not that our temporary suffering is small. It's that our eternal glory is just that big. See, it's, it's interesting. Our suffering may be weighty, but knowing the end of the story puts them into perspective, doesn't it? See, Jesus said that our sorrows will turn into joy. He doesn't say that we will have joy followed by, by uh, sorrows. In John 16, 20, he says, it, think of it this way, that for God's children, what is now pain will ultimately be transfigured into both glory and joy. No matter how big our troubles are in this world, the eternal glory is bigger. This is the first implication of the resurrection. That no matter how hard life gets, no matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstances step in place, they are, they are preparing us for good works. They are they're creating in us something better and more valuable than gold, that even though it's been refined by, by fire, ultimately they're bringing about a perseverance in us to move. No matter how hard life gets, we know the end of the story. We have his promise. This is the first implication to knowing the end of the story, is that we have his promise. The second implication, or the second thing that I want us to know is, is, is that because we know the end, we have his mission. No matter how, what happens throughout life, whether good or bad, all of us have his mission. And I think too often we get sidetracked by good things and bad things, and we think that his mission is paused. And that's just not the case. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, speaking to those who are followers of Jesus. You are a chosen race, a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you, listen, here it is, that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It doesn't say after this, unless you're in COVID-19, you don't have to proclaim his excellencies. 
It doesn't say in here, unless you're really, really kind of bogged down with school or your job's really busy, you don't have to proclaim his excellencies. No, it says that we are his chosen priest, his royal priesthood, and this is something that we are supposed to do in every single bit of our life is to proclaim his excellencies. Guys, we have his mission. He has given us a calling, a leading, a purpose. It is to proclaim of his excellencies. Just to give you a couple more, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. For good works. We are his, in Christ Jesus, we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk. That word walk means as you go, as you live throughout the day in them. We aren't only to proclaim of his excellencies. We're supposed to be doing the good works that he created beforehand for us to do. That as we go, whether we're in school or at work or in social quarantine or whatever it may be, as you go, we are to do his good works. So that means that his church has a mission. That means that today, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it's gotten, we know that our, our struggles and our difficulties, we can rest in his promise because the resurrection has sealed that for us. The, the empty tomb shows us that, that there is no power over us in this world anymore. And then we know that we have a mission, that God has something for us to do, to not only proclaim his excellencies, to all, showing them, look what he has done for me. He has called me out of darkness, but also to do the good works that he created beforehand. One more, because it's one that we all know. Matthew 28 18 through 20 says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just in case you were wondering, this is a side point. Because Jesus walked out of the tomb, he followed God in submission all the way through the crucifixion into the the tomb and out of the tomb, he has been given all authority by God. All of it. So there's not a, a small amount of authority. All authority has been given to him. And what does he tell us to do? He says, go therefore and make disciples. Guys, too often we get distracted and we say, I, don't, I just don't know enough. I just, I, you know what, life's a little busy. busy. I, I mean, I don't know how I could do discipleship right now. And we forget that we are commanded by God to go and make disciples. Baptize, uh, ba- make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then one of the most amazing promises, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you're feeling any uncertainty, it's not because Jesus has left you. It's not because he is, he's, he's forsaken you. No, he says right here, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are meant to proclaim his excellencies. We are meant to, to, to do the good works that he created beforehand for us to walk in. And we are meant to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. This is his mission Guys, this doesn't change. Resurrection just seals this for us. The fact that Jesus walks out of the tomb, what did the disciples do right after? They, they, they get commissioned and move. They run. They go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone because the mission is in place. Even though they started experiencing immense, immense persecution, they continued to push forward. Guys, whether you are socially distancing or the world is normal, whether you are working or not working, whether you are poor or rich, or whether your life is hard, or you're getting married, or you're not married yet, or you have six kids, or you have one kid, or you have no kid, and you wish you had kids. No matter what stage of life you're in, his mission does not waver. It does not change. The resurrection shows us this. The resurrection gives us this, because we know the end of the story. 
we know that we have a mission. He has given us a purpose. And our purpose isn't what we do in vocation. Our purpose isn't how awesome our 2.5 kids white picket fence and a dog is. Our purpose is his mission. Our, our calling is what he's asked us to do, proclaim of his excellencies. He has brought you out of darkness. Walk in those good works and make disciples. No one is exempt from this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not in any way exempt from this. You don't even really get to say, I get to take a season of life off for this because that never changes. Whatever you do, as you walk, whatever you do, the good works of Jesus Christ should be coming out of us in every single opportunity. People should be hearing because of the proclamation of not only what we say, but our lifestyles of the excellencies of what Jesus Christ has done in us. Because we know the end of the story. Because we know the end of the story, it makes sense. His mission doesn't change for us. Because Jesus walked out of that tomb, he has commissioned us to go and make disciples, to go and proclaim his excellencies. No matter what our job is, or how old we are, or how long we follow Jesus, there are good works, proclamations, and disciples to be made. And that never changes. And the resurrection seals that fate for us. The third implication to knowing the end of the story. And I think this one is super applicable, especially today, thinking about COVID-19 and all of the things that are going on with our economy in the tanks and, and just fear kind of, kind of working its way in and around, not just in people that don't know Jesus, but people that, that, that proclaim the name of Jesus. This implication, guys, this is, this is the point I was saying. This is us accidentally creating our own Holy Saturday experience today where we're walking in fear and confusion and dashed hopes because we, we forget that we actually know the end of the story. We, we miss it like the disciples did where he said, I must go to Jerusalem and I must die and three days later be raised. We miss it entirely. We miss it because we have stopped paying attention to the fact that we know the end of the story. We're watching that thriller movie as if we haven't seen it. And we know when the, the scary moment's gonna come. We know what's gonna happen. We know the end of the story. And I think this is the biggest implication for us to rest in. When Jesus walks out of that tomb, he seals something that is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. See, the realization of Jesus' resurrection brings about the promise of our resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's combating all the things that would happen if we didn't raise, if he hadn't raised from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, there's that farming term. This means that, that there's more to come. This is the greatest in the first part, but there's more to come. It's, it's, a, it's a show, a picture, that there's gonna be a crop or a harvest that's gonna follow this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death through Adam, by man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Guys, the third point that we get, the third thing that we realize in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we have a hope, a hope that's not based on circumstances, a hope that's not based on anything this world has to offer, a hope that is based on the fact that he has promised to be making us resurrected with him in his new heavens and new earths because Jesus is the first fruits. Guys, this is why we get in trouble. 
This is why we get in trouble today. This is, what was, this is what's causing us to, to be riddled in fear. And this is what's causing us to, to get sucked into news. And again, listen to the news, that's fine. But we start looking at our financial stability and we're worried about the last 20 years of our life when it's a vapor of a life. And we have a hope that goes beyond this world. Not an escape to a new world, but escape to the new heavens and the new world and the new earth. Let me, let me just give you one picture. There's plenty of scripture that talks about it, but let me just give you one picture of just how beautiful this is. Revelations 21, one through five says this. It says, then I saw a new heavens and a new, again, new here can mean renewed, not like um, completely new, renewed earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea, which is a metaphor for violence, was no more. There is no more violence and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. If you've ever been married, you know what that feels like. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and, and death shall be no more, neither shall... Shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore? For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus' resurrection seals that future. It's a reality for all time. We are the first fruits. The reason why we get stuck in fear and the reason why we get misguided and we run towards sin is because we forget that God is doing something, that, that the end of the book was not Jesus' resurrection, that there's still another chapter beyond, and that is our resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the best news ever, guys. We see in Scripture when it talks about the resurrection that we will fully know God like he knows us that we, there will be perfect unity. Can you imagine that? Interacting with people where there's no hidden agenda, there's no, there's no wondering if they like you or they don't like you, but everyone is just fully open and there's perfect unity. We see that the body won't break down. And on and on and on. I read this to my kids, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, and Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, and Romans 8. I would highly encourage you to go read those when you look at the resurrection. And my kids were baffled. Wait a minute, a lion and an ox will graze together? My son was like, I can play with a cobra and he won't bite me? Guys, we, we can't even imagine how good it is. But I fear we've lost sight of how good it is. And that's caused us to operate like the disciples did on that Holy Saturday. Confused, dashed hopes. Giving to fear as someone who has been freed from fear. The resurrection puts everything into perspective. We have a hope. The third thing is we have a hope far beyond any circumstance. Our hope is not that we will retire rich. Our hope is not that our business will survive. Our hope is not that she'll say yes. Our hope is not that we'll have many kids. And our hope is not that they will follow the Lord. Although all of those things are good. But when we put our hope in those things, our hopes will be dashed because we forget that our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ being the first fruits. That then we get to walk into the new heavens and the new earth where there is no brokenness. Guys, I will confess with you. God rocked me this week when I realized I wanted to see my daughter walk down the aisle and get married more than I wanted to walk with my daughter in the resurrection. 
We need to put our lens back into perspective, into focus. We have a hope that is far beyond this world, sealed in the resurrection of Jesus and culminates in the new heavens and the new earth. We know the end of the story. It's the end of the story. The disciples had fear and only had had to wait three days for them to understand Jesus' resurrection. Guys, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I've seen what my heart wants to do during this time, and it's definitely not of a sound mind. And the only reason we don't have to fear is because no matter how hard it gets, we can rest in his promises that it's momentary, that no matter how difficult these afflictions are, they don't even hold a candle against the future glory in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. We can live in a way that doesn't let fear rule us because we have a hope that is beyond all circumstances. It rests in his promise, a promise which, by the way, his disciples and all the people around that time had been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to show up, and they still missed it. Don't you miss it. Don't spend this life missing what resurrection means for us. We, will live, we live as a people who hope, and not some cheap hope like a wishful thinking, like I hope my car will start, or I hope I can... I can not have acid reflux from eating this food. Like, not this cheap hope, a hope that's founded in the promises of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that walked right out of that tomb over 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus that sealed our fate when he resurrected. The same Jesus that we can now go, oh, praise you, Jesus, we will too be resurrected. We have a hope. Hebrews 10 23 says this, let us hold fast, hold hard, hold on to the confession of our hope without what? Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Our hope is based on his promise. Hold on to that. Don't run from it. Don't waffle from it. Don't waver in it. Because our hope is beyond anything that God can or anything that we can expect. God is greater than anything we can hope for. If we put our hope in anything in this world, it leads to uncertainty. It leads to mistakes. It leads to all kinds of things. Look, I'll say it. We are in uncertain times. But culturally, but really nothing has changed in God's eyes. We still have his promise. We still have his mission. And we still have a hope. Hope is anything, hope in anything else is foolish. Stop putting your hope in finances or people or stuff or family or marriage. Look, you can have those things, but our hope should not rest in those. It should only rest in the resurrection of Jesus, in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will never let you down, that will never fail to deliver. He is the only one that is worth living this life for. Let us press on in with his promise and his mission and a hope that transcends our circumstances and difficulties, a hope that lasts forever. As believers, we still have the exact same mission today as we did three months ago before COVID-19 showed up. And we'll have the same mission 10 years from now if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Our mission does not change. We are not tossed 
all over like immature children by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced. Hear me on this. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they seem like truth like Ephesians 4, 14 tells us. Where you put your hope will truly change the way you see reality. What does the scripture say about our reality? It says that we are more than conquerors. It says that death holds no power over us, that sin can no longer keep us shackled. We are free. So, so why lose hope if we lose some money or it gets hard or our relationships are falling apart because at the end of the day, God is our hope. Look, I'm not saying that all problems go away. I'm not saying that all problems go away if you just focus on the hope of Jesus. But what I am saying is the reality of the problems are put into the proper perspective of what is truly reality. And what is truly reality is that we will be resurrected with Jesus in his presence. God will come here in the new heavens and the new earth and we can live with a purpose so our labor is not in vain. We should cling to the resurrection more than ever. We look forward to the end because we know that death is not the end anymore. Like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, right? He's doing all of this. Why? Because of the resurrection. If you hope in the resurrection, you hope in Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the realization of our hope. This is why it's such a great day. This is why it's wonderful to stand up and say, He has risen because He has risen and we too will rise. Build your life on this certainty that we know the future and that not one circumstance in front of us will ever change us or cause us to fear or cause us to run from God. Instead, we will continue to stay on point in mission. This will cause us to live differently today. If you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, and God makes this massive promise to give Abraham children, Isaac finally shows up 20 plus years later and then says, I will create descendants greater than the stars. And then one morning he tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, to go dismember him and, and put him on a fire and burn him to the Lord in a pleasing aroma. I, I couldn't imagine being in Abraham's position, but he gets up and goes and does it. He tells his, his servants that are helping him at the bottom of the hill, says, hey, wait here, we're gonna go up and worship. He's gonna go worship by dismembering his son. And he goes through it, and, and I've always, I'll admit, I always read that story. I'm like, man, I just don't think I could be a father that could follow the Lord like Abraham does. But then I remembered what Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us. It says that he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Why would Abraham do that? Because he knew the end of the story. The end of the story wasn't the fact that Isaac would be killed. The end of the story was that God had already promised to make him descendants greater than the stars in the sky. When we focus on the end of the story, we don't get bogged down by the circumstances around us. We see his promises, we stay on his mission, and we rest in hope. And that hope, I'm telling you guys, changes everything. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. We're gonna do communion today. And we're gonna do this until he comes. It's interesting, we look at scripture, one of the things the Lord gives us is a reminder of hope. When we take communion, we, we not only proclaim what he has done for us in, in making us whole, in, in following him and helping us be, be true to who he is and, and giving us new life and walking in, in, the, in the spirit today, we also proclaim that he's coming again. 
Our communion tells us that, that he's coming in. When we partake of the elements, when we, when we drink of the, of the, the juice or the, and take of the bread that symbolizes his body and his blood, we aren't just saying he did this for us. We're saying he's coming again, and that's what we proclaim. And what's even crazier, think about it this way. Luke tells us, Luke 22 tells us that Jesus will not partake of this meal again until he does it with us in his kingdom. He is anticipating, waiting to be with us, waiting to follow us, waiting, or waiting to, to, to lead us so that we can follow him into the new heavens and the new earth. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this is the bread. This is my life. This is my body. This represents my body. He, he called an audible in something that was so simple, something that was so, so normal to them over a Passover meal. And he says, look, this is my body. This bread symbolizes me walking as fully human, me fulfilling the law that you couldn't fulfill, me playing the part that needed to be played so that you can be made whole. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And he broke it. And if you remember right, when he breaks the bread in front of the disciples after he's resurrected, their eyes are opened. And what do they say? Did not our hearts burn with inside us when he was unfailing all of the scripture to us? We, we take of communion to proclaim of his death, burial, and resurrection. But we take of communion to remind us of our resurrection that's coming because we know the end of the story. And so he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim not only the Lord's death, but you proclaim it until he comes again and we defeat death. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for resurrection. God, I thank you for reminding me that, that we haven't lived the end of the story yet, but we know the end of the story. And we can trust in that end no matter how long it seems because you've never broken a promise yet. And so God, I pray. I pray that, that there are people here listening this today, whether it's at their home or in their car or just while they're driving somewhere to work or if they're, whatever it may be, God, I pray that their hearts will be transformed with hope. I pray that they'd be reminded of your mission. I pray that they would be reminded that there is a promise that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how bleak their outcome looks, this is still a vapor of a life and you have an eternal life for us that far outweighs anything that we experience in this momentary life. I pray that we'd rest in that. God, when we, when we proclaim of your death and burial and resurrection, God, it means that our resurrection is sealed as well. So we can proclaim with joy, he is risen because that means that ultimately we too will rise. God, may we be a people that rest in that hope. There's someone that's still listening to this that has not surrendered their life to Jesus, that realizes when they look at their life, they are riddled with fear and no hope. God, I pray that you would draw them, break them down, draw their hearts to you, and that they would proclaim you as Lord and Savior of their life. We know that you are faithful and you are good. Forgive us for the ways that we've allowed our circumstances to diminish our our focus on your promise or to cause us to, to pause your mission. And God, forgive us for the ways that we have lost hope because we placed our hope in something that was never able to sustain it outside of you. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name, the risen Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.